welcome. We've got another show. Um, as you may recall, we've been uh, trying to get famous. So we did a video game show, and uh, one of the ways it seems to get famous in podcast is politics. And we've done, uh, so I was like, well, we got to do like a right-wing thing and then a left-wing thing and see what happens. See if one or the other actually works. Um, we did a couple right-wing episodes. I believe the way this worked was I sort of uh, presented some crazy right-wing quotes and then defended them. And then also some uh, crazy right-wing ideas and sort of defended them. So now we're going to do it the other way. Um, so I need to I need to get in my super super left wing mindset. I don't. What do do? I feel like the term that left wing people use for themselves is progressive, as and like right wings like that's the conservative right. Like Republican Democrat seems out the window at this point. Do you like how I'm like I'm going to do a political podcast and I'm like I don't even know what these fuckers call themselves, and I don't care. But, hey, we got to get famous. Get rich or die trying. Uh, I don't want to go that far. I think that the slogan of this show should be more like, get rich or, you know, um, just make a bunch of podcasts that no one really cares about. And, you know, that's, I guess that's really not that problematic. So, what I did, I had a hard time finding... Um, progressive views that I thought were super out there and weird. Um, like I've talked about before, the sort of right-wing weirdo stuff seems to be... The, the weirdo stuff is more interesting. That would be the best thing I think I would say about the uh, right-wingers, is their weirdos are much more weird, which is uh, preferable in this specific case, right? But... Uh, not necessarily preferable for being in office and actually having to abide by some of these crazy ideas. But if you're doing a, a, a podcast that's, you know, reaching for comedy and you're looking for weird, weird stuff people have done or said, mm, that, that's your party of choice right there. I guess there's other like parties, right? Like Tea Party. Is that still a thing? Libertarian. These all seem to still be things. Although it seems like Every party is also sort of defined by its worst practitioners, like the people who sort of abuse the idea of the party. So in other words, like, my understanding of libertarians, for example, is that they're basically like, let's not have the government do everything, um, smaller government, which is kind of what, it's weird that, because that's, I thought, what Democrats were sort of about, was like, let's not legislate everything. But then that seems to have changed. But then libertarians seem closer to Republicans, maybe? I don't know. I don't fucking know. Um, but I'm not going to bother doing, like, a libertarian show because I would think, what would they care? I, this is the problem, I think, with most political movements is, like, most, like, libertarians or anarchists or whoever kind of have the same thing in common, which is, like, well, we don't need a structure. And you're like, well... Based on the success of your party, I'd say maybe you do need a structure. Maybe a little structure would have been a good idea. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. Seems seems difficult. 
you know, like, I think true communism is a little difficult because it's like, well, who's going to, who's, like, counting the votes then? Who's in charge of stuff? So it's like, well, uh, Pete has a famous saying at work because, you know, and this is, like, just little work tasks around an office, but uh, my famous work saying is, Something that's everybody's responsibility is nobody's responsibility. So it's like if everyone is responsible for like, hey, just run the dishwasher when you get the chance, then it's no one's responsibility and it tends to not get done. So if you actually need to get something done, it needs to be someone's responsibility. But then I kind of also think that if you are taking on a responsibility, then you should be compensated for it in some way. You know. I guess communism works great if you have everybody is kind of on the same page and everybody, like, wants to work um, and wants to contribute, but also is fine with the idea of, like, I have enough and therefore blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't seem realistic. It seems very utopic. And then that never works. It, it just doesn't seem like a great system. Anyway... So what I, the closest thing I found to some uh, crazy ideas where I, it was listed as like Andrew Yang's eight craziest ideas. Um, so I thought we would just go through these and we could talk through them and I could defend them or condemn them. So this is putting on my uh, left wing hat, which I don't know what even that looks like. Okay, the first one was... Uh, the American Mall Act, which is finding productive uses for malls. Because, um, like, I guess shopping malls are, you know, they're all shitty and closed down and stuff. I mean, our, our beloved Greeley Mall, the place I rode the bus to or rode my bicycle to many times as a kid to play in the arcade and look at pets in the window of the pet store and uh, other things. I don't know. Eat pizza. Go to Dollar World. The dollar store. Where everything was supposed to be a dollar, but then that wasn't true. Um, that was kind of... That's. I feel like the dollar store is a thing of the past, even though we still have Dollar General. But the shit in there isn't a dollar. So it's like, what the fuck, Dollar General? Why are you called Dollar General? Or like, Dollar World, eventually. I remember going in there as a youth and finding something that cost like ten bucks. And I was like, well, what's even the point of this store? If it's like, uh, well, this is $10, then I'm like, oh, well, not interested. Fuck off. The whole point of this store is that everything in here is a dollar. And it's like somebody just had this genius idea of, oh, I got it. As long as it's multiples of a dollar, it's still dollar world, but they should have changed it to dollars world. Then I would have known. I would have been like, yeah, fucking A. Also would have made it a good song. Like, instead of it's a man's world, it's a dollar's world. Boy, is that true, huh? Fellow um, progressives. Anyway. Uh, I, I guess I wouldn't mind seeing the revival of the mall. You know, I lived in a much beloved apartment that was converted from an old school. Um... I definitely think an, a mall could be converted into, like, housing. That would be pretty good. It's a housing shortage. See, I, I don't know enough, though, to know how difficult that would be. 
and also whether or not people would like that kind of housing and also what that would potentially turn into. I mean, a store seems like a fairly sizable home. And, you know, it seems like I'm guessing most of the stores had some kind of a toilet and stuff. So it's like, eh, you might be partway there already. You wouldn't have to, like, gut the entire building and redo it. But, uh, I don't know. That's, it seems like an okay thing. It seems like a weird area of focus. I guess that's one of the issues I don't know because I got this from presumably a conservative blog or whatever. And uh, I don't know if what they're doing is saying, like, these are his most important ideas. Because I, I don't particularly think that revamping our malls is probably one of our biggest ideas. But you know what? I think it's the small things. All of the small things. They're small and things. Surprises, let me know she cares. Um, so I'm in favor of this because I think it brings economic diversity housing, affordable housing. That seems like a, an issue that everyone's got. And so this brings affordable housing. You know, it'd be nice about living in the mall, I guess, is like, well, there'd be a nice and a shitty and it's the same thing, which is like, you could walk around inside the mall. Like, there's a bunch of space in the mall. You could have a playground inside the mall and stuff like that. That would be pretty nice. But also, I feel like, uh, you know, you go to the fucking grocery store, you'd have, like, a quarter-mile walk with your groceries. Which I know doesn't sound far, but that's because most of you shitheads don't have to walk that far. Like, I didn't walk super far at my old place, but it was... A little distance from the parking lot to the front door and then up a couple flights of stairs with whatever groceries I had. And that was, believe me, and you had to unlock, uh, you had to open a door. Then you had to unlock a key card door. Then you had to unlock your actual apartment door. And this doesn't, I'm not saying this is like, you know, oh my god, my life was in ruins because of this. I'm just saying it's not ideal. You wouldn't be able to do, like, senior housing this way, for example, which would be ideal, because it'd be like, oh, they can, like, basically do mall walking at home. How perfect. I, I tend to believe that what we should do, I think, I think what I'm going to do, because I think a uh, progressive version of politics is taking someone's idea and saying, does this idea go too far or not too far enough? And saying, this isn't far enough. I think Pete's idea is better. Which is like, we need more mixed-use commercial residential. Because, like, I've long felt it would be great to have an apartment above, like, an insurance office. It's like, motherfuckers aren't getting there until 8 a.m. And then they're leaving at, like, 5, 6 p.m. So it's like, basically, any of the time that I'm home... No one's living below me, and vice versa. So it seems like, to me, I mean, like, if you have a... Jeez, I worked in a library. Jeez, oh, Pete! I worked in a library. Like, it would be great to live in an apartment above the library because there would be nobody below you 90% of the time. Like, it would be almost always nothing happening. It would usually be quiet, quiet. 
There's not going to be weird smells. You'll probably get bed bugs, but so what? That's the same thing as anywhere. I don't know. That seems It seems like more mixed use that way. It seems just to make more sense. I'd also pile on my idea of we need to stop with this standard like 9 to 5 workday, which is, by the way, is 8 to 6 now. I don't know where, I don't know who's working 9 to 5, but it's like everyone knows now it's like 8 to 6 or 8 to 5. I guess, I don't know if this is true or not. I, I would need to like, I need to ask an old. That would be a great episode of this show. Pete asks a bunch of questions of an old to see like, what was it like? Is it like what I thought it was like? Was it like fucking happy days? But I'm curious as to whether or not this is true. Like, was it really 9 to 5? And then you got paid for your lunch hour and shit? Also, frustrating me lately has just been this idea of, like... So shouldn't we be getting basically an 8-hour... A 1950s 8-hour workday we should be able to accomplish with modern technology in, like, 3 hours. Because, I mean, email alone, file sharing, this kind of stuff... Uh, computers should make shit pretty easy, I would think. I would think most jobs that people work now, like in an office, if you sit in front of a computer and work in an office, you could probably be getting a lot more fucking work done in a day than someone could in the 1950s. But so what are we doing? Are we just, we're just doing more work? And it's not, it doesn't seem like we're making a bunch more money proportionally or adjusted for inflation. So what the fuck? What's going on here? Anyway. Uh, two, free marriage counseling for all. Huh. I don't know. Okay. I have, I have some issues with that. I have... One issue I have is I feel like... Uh, counseling can be hard because, like... If you've ever tried to get counseling, it seems like you call five people and they're like, I'm full up on patients right now. It's like trying to get a dentist or something and they're like, oh, I'm not accepting new patients. And you're like, what the fuck? Why not? Can't someone look at the calendar and just be like, oh, here's a date. Go for it. Like, whatever. Why do I have to come to you for a hundred years? Like, just do you have an opening or not? But it seems like there's a shortage here. So I don't know. I feel like they would all, a lot of counselors would then end up being shuffled into this marriage counseling shit. But let me give you some insight as well into the uh, health industry, healthcare. So uh, my mom works in the healthcare industry. And basically, a lot of the things about the way the healthcare industry runs, I think, was designed to prevent, you know, fraud and shit like that. But it actually just makes things worse. Like, they're required to have a certain amount of, a percentage of, like, what they call productivity. And so, like, you go see a patient and you're supposed to spend a certain amount of time doing certain activities and, like, you don't get to count other things as work time and blah, blah, blah. And, like, they have all this fucking paperwork to fill out. And basically it's designed, the healthcare system, in my opinion, is poorly designed because it's mostly designed to prevent fraud and stuff like that, as opposed to being designed for people who are doing it correctly um, to have ease of access and ease of use. And that's, to me, that's always going to be a badly designed system. Unless you're specifically trying to punish people, like, for example, a prison probably shouldn't be designed for people who are trying to 
uh, use the word use the world correctly, I guess I'd say. Because it's like, well, I guess when you kill somebody, you're not really... Even if you're trying to use the world correctly, you're not succeeding. But, um... Point being... Oh, wait. I forgot. I forgot that I'm progressive. So everyone in prison is probably not supposed to be there or something. I think that's kind of how I feel. Um... Yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like uh, putting this over to the government seems like a dangerous, not dangerous, a bad idea. Because the counseling you get from like a government-appointed counselor is probably going to suck. And they're going to have to fill out a bunch of paperwork. They're not going to give a fuck about your marriage. They're going to be like, well, this is my job, 9 to 5. <laughs> um, so I don't think this is a good idea, frankly. I don't know if it's like, I think that having government in that seems like not productive. Having government involved in something that I'll call a science doesn't seem to work out very often. As far as like, it seems like the people in those fields should be the ones managing them. And like, if it was set up in such a way that basically the government just handed over money to people for doing this counseling, then I'd be like, all right. Fair enough. But it's not going to be like that. It's going to suck. It's going to be horrible. Um, from my progressive point of view, also, the institution of marriage is basically slavery. Is that a thing? It just seems... It seems like... Uh, it's. You know what it is? The problem with marriage is it creates a power structure, a hierarchy. Those that are married are in a power differential with those who aren't married simply because they haven't gone through a government recognized process um, and I don't think a government recognized process should be used to regulate uh, an emotional relationship between two consenting adults that seems like an abuse of the government's power it seems like an overreach to Pete um, and they should uh, this does sound pretty libertarian my version of a progressive is a libertarian. Well, you know why I feel this way is because it took so long for my uh, gay and trans and other brothers and sisters to get their rights. So I don't, I don't trust the government is going to do the right thing this time. They didn't last time. Why would they this time? Ha <laughs> ha. That's another. That's another. I guess important aspect of this character for me is I gotta like say it. As though uh, I'm winning a battle when I say something like, ah, here's how this is progressive. And then I'm like, yes, I win. You like win a contest if you can say that something is, if you can progressivize something. That's not a word, progressivize, but whatever. Um, boom. Um, three, tax day is a federal holiday. I read a little bit about this. Apparently, Andrew Yang is like, everyone dreads tax day. Um, and making it a holiday would make it, you know, less dreadful. Which I think is stupid. I mean, I see what he's trying to do, but it's like, look, no one's going to like tax day. Even, even if you're getting a refund, nobody's going to like tax day. It's like, you still have to basically do a fucking worksheet. 
So why why would you? I'm not gonna. I'm not that easily fooled. It's frankly a little insulting to my intelligence to be like, you would like this if this was a day off. Okay. I'm trying to drive into a gas station here, and this lady is... You know how people sometimes are just, like, in their car and just drifting in a, in no particular direction, and you're like, I'm just trying to drive through here, and, like, I can't... I don't know where you're going, and therefore I can't decide where I'm going. Um, you need to, like, indicate in some way. If only your car had some kind of, like, light-up thing on it that indicated what you were thinking of doing right now. That would be... Wouldn't that be amazing? So, I don't, I don't know. I'm not... I don't love this idea. Um, but you know what? I'm gonna... I'm gonna... Here's how I'll do it. Tax day should be a... Uh, we should think of it as a day of service. And we should be happy to provide for our fellow Americans. You know, when I pay my taxes, I think about how wonderful it is to help others, right? Because, like, my taxes go to, like, um, welfare programs and um, protecting our national parks? <laughs> Question mark? I'm not really sure. Um, and so I don't, I don't know. I don't need the day out. I mean, I think what's dumb about it is... Okay, I think it's a bad idea for this reason, which is when you when you give uh, students an assignment, let's say like in college or something, everybody's going to do the assignment and turn it in when it's due. They're probably not going to turn it in super early. Like I usually do my taxes really early because I usually get a refund and I want to get that refund. Um but I understand if I wasn't getting a refund, I probably wouldn't be as excited to get it done. And uh, if I get mine done like in February, it seems like I beat most people to the punch. And it's because everyone knows it's like April 15th, that's the day. But it's like, okay, well, what if we made it, you know, not... If it was a day off, I think literally everyone would be like, well, fuck it, I'm going to do it on that day then. That's the day to do it. What you need to do, here's what we need to do as progressives. We need to say, let's give everyone a day off in March, and that's the day to do your taxes. Or even better, let's do it in February, and let's, we'll call it tax day. Now, your taxes aren't due that day, but everyone's got the day off to get their taxes done. Um, that way... That way, it's just like everyone can get it out of the way, get it done, and just not think about it. That's that's my take on it. Is like let's just let's let's not pretend like this is enjoyable on any level, and just be like, look, this is gonna suck, but let's just do it in February. It's not fucking nice outside yet, so you're not like missing a, a nice day. Also, it's like let's just do it around Valentine's Day because Valentine's Day fucking sucks. So let's just combine these two shitty days. In fact, why don't we say Valentine's Day is now, quote, tax day? So it's like, hey, don't forget Valentine's Day, and then everyone will have the day off, so you can all do your crazy Valentine's shit that day. And then, but the first part of the day, you can just do your taxes. You can have that little financial discussion with your spouse, which never results in, in issues or whatever. 
You can just be like, oh my god, we're doing horrible. But then it's like, all right, well, let's go out to dinner and console ourselves <laughs> by going to the most crowded Red Lobster we've ever been to in our lives. Boom. Um, monitor the health of white house, or monitor the mental health. Mental? Physical health? Monitor health of White House staff. Um, is this not something that's happening? I guess they probably have access to health care, but aren't being monitored. <laughs> for health um all right here's my progressive view on this um really monitoring the health seems like a way to exclude people who otherwise would not be excluded in other words like to say so and so is too old to work here right that seems like it's an exclusionary thing or so and so has a history of diabetes and therefore, we're not going to put them in this position. Because what if I put this person in... It's like uh, the old thing where they would be like, we can't have a woman president. What if she has her period? It's like, uh, we can't have a diabetic uh, secretary of state. What if there's a crisis and he can't get any insulin? And then he's passed out on the floor somewhere. Then what? It's like, I don't know, man. If, he, if secretary of state can't get fucking insulin, I think we've got some big fucking problems that probably go beyond the health of that staff. So while I think this is a progressive idea in a way, I think it, I think it speaks to our baser progressive ideas, which is basically like uh, Trump is crazy and maybe mentally unfit. And maybe, you know, a lot of people have talked about him being physically unfit. As a progressive, I think it's wrong to talk about that because body shaming him body shames everyone. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think he's in horrible shape for the age he is. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's probably because he's commented on other people like Rosie O'Donnell being fat or something. But whatever. I don't. I believe that if a fat person can make fun of a fat person, and so can a not fat person. I think everyone's got the equal opportunity to. You know, being fat does not. Damn it, doesn't curtail your right to make fun of a fat person. I can't decide if this is a progressive stance or a completely non-progressive stance. Because um, it's like, well, everyone should have the right to make fun of somebody. And, you know, your condition shouldn't, shouldn't remove your rights, damn it. You know, I see it as an attack on speech. But I feel like speech is a, a not progressive thing right now. Okay, whatever. You get the idea. Um, next. Oh, high school, high schooler United States exchange program. So this would be like you could be an exchange student, but you would go to a, just a different community. So like maybe I grew up in Colorado, so I'm going to spend a year in uh, New York or something. Um, I don't know, man. I think it's a good idea in a way. But I also, I kind of think, like, I really, I, I don't know if high school is the age of effectiveness for that, I guess. Because I feel like, well, if, you, if you're just living somewhere, but you're having, like, all your needs taken care of by a family and an adult, that's not really, you're not really living somewhere. You know, like, I don't feel like you really live somewhere until you've had a job there. 
or you've done something work-like. Um, like when I was traveling to Oregon every month for three months, or every week for three months, I wouldn't say I lived there. I'd say I had a lot of, you know, parallel to living there type experiences, but, and I was going there for a worky purpose, even though it was a desirable one. But it, I, I still, it was closer to work because I was like commuting. I was taking the train to the airport every day and, you know, having to get up and do things. And it wasn't, I wasn't doing like a lot of fun times. It was not like, Pete was not just doing whatever the fuck he wanted to any, by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, it was, uh, it still wasn't the like daily grind or anything. So anyway, I don't know how I don't know how different it would be, but um, and I I see where they're coming from with the high school thing, but I don't know. I I guess here's my thing is I think high schools are so fucked up and like so broke, and so have so much, so many problems that I don't really think that um, this is a a good use of resources for uh, an American high school is to, like, putting money into this kind of thing doesn't seem... Or, you know, the education, Department of Education, putting money into this, like... I just... I really think education reform needs to be a lot more basic. Everyone's trying to solve the problem by being, like, free college, exchange program, blah, 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 blah. But I'm kind of like, all right, here's what you need to do. They go four days a week... School is, like, maximum six hours a day. Maximum. Um, give them more opportunities for less structured learning. So, in other words, it's not like you go in, you do a worksheet and whatever. Like, give them opportunities to, like, pursue things of interest or do new shit and try out other shit. I definitely would be more in support of, like, a gap year type program between high school and college. Because I think that would be a good time for students to evaluate, like, okay, yeah, like, go live on your own for a little while. What do you want to do with your time in your life? How does that, how does that fit in? You've spent the last year doing a job that might be fulfilling but not very high economic earning. How does that make you feel? Um, what does something really cost? When you take out that $20,000 student loan, how long would it take you to pay it back? You know what I mean? All this kind of shit that you'd be like, oh, okay, this is different than I thought. Anyway, uh, my progressive take on it is, you know, it doesn't go far enough because I think what we'd see happen is similar to the exchange programs we have now, which is, most students who are participating in an exchange program are definitely upper-class type students. Um, just even travel to a foreign country is an expensive proposition. You know, lower-income families can't possibly make this happen. Um, especially if you think of a lower-income family that might need that child at home to work. And they might need that child providing income or doing some care of other children in the family and that kind of stuff. So really it's a pretty insensitive idea as far as um, the way some families are structured. And I just, I'm pretty angry at Andrew Yang right now for even suggesting it. Uh, let's see. A national reporting system for robocalls. 
uh, via text. I don't know how important it is that it's via text. Well, I think there is an, a reporting system, right? Which isn't that, that thing you get on that no-call list or whatever. Which doesn't really seem to work. By the way, I still get, like, robocalls all the time. But I don't know. Isn't that going to be, like, a thing of the past? I would think at some point, like... I, I currently work in marketing. And I can tell you that, like, just barraging people with shit doesn't ever work. Like, ever. I mean, you don't get a huge return. You can send an email newsletter every week, for example. Um, but if nobody opens it, it doesn't really do you any good, right? Like, it's not going to help you at all. It's just going to be another thing that people delete from their email. I mean, I got to say, like, so lately I've been... I used to take my spam from my email and, you know, mark it as spam and whatever... And so then it would just go to the junk mail folder. But, you know, now I've been doing the thing where you click unsubscribe and actually unsubscribe. And they always want to know why you're unsubscribing. And, you know, the reasons on there are listed. And it's usually some form of, uh, I never subscribed to this list. This isn't useful for me. A couple other things or other. And one of the things they never have listed in my experience is... I don't need fucking three emails a day from Target. I don't need three emails a week from Target. I don't even really need a monthly email from Target. But I would say I would tolerate a monthly email from Target. Like if Target wanted to email me once a month and whatever, I may just end up deleting it instead of unsubscribing. If, you know, uh, Lowe's emailed me once a month to tell me what was going on, I might, I might allow it. But when you're emailing me like three times a week and I don't give a fuck about what you're talking about, then forget it. Like, I don't want that. I don't need that much. Um, but also, it is often the case, and this is like a little insider info. Often the case is I don't remember subscribing to this email list. But the people who receive this feedback will ignore that because they'll say, well, you did subscribe to this list. Because what happens is, you know, you buy something from Etsy and you don't unclick the box that's like, Get, hear about our great deals and all that shit, right? So technically, by not clicking that box, you have subscribed to their email, but that's insane. I mean, that's a horrible way to run something and also... But then I'll, I'll tell you what they're saying. So I never click the one that's like, I didn't subscribe to this because I'm like, I think they just ignore that. I always click the box that says other, and I always type some version of this. I absolutely have no need for multiple emails a week from you. Furthermore, you should talk to your marketing department because I think they're telling you they have this huge number of people subscribe to their mailing list and they're touting that as a success but you should ask them what the open rate is on that and you should also ask them what the unsubscribe rate is on it and furthermore you need to compare those rates because like if you have an email list that's going out and it's got a massive not open you know you're opening one percent and this is what idiots think idiots are like well, wait a minute, I've got a million people on my list, and so even if only 1% open it, that's significant. 
And you know, we've tracked that we made X dollars in sales. And that's what you really need to do. You need to tell these people, all right, I want you to set up the analytics on the website uh, with a specific campaign that's coming from the newsletter. And we're gonna see how many people follow through the thread from the newsletter to actually making a purchase, which we can do. And if it's like a reasonable amount of money, basically, hey, in a year, do we have as people making as many purchases as we're spending on putting out this newsletter and on the staff that does that? No? Then okay, it's not worth our time, is it? It's dumb. It's just really dumb. So anyway, I'm hoping that at some point, most legitimate companies will move away from this and start saying like, you know what? Um, online tools, the cost benefit here, the cost is that like they vie for your attention and try to get your attention even when they don't deserve it. But the benefit to the consumer is definitely that they can kind of make their own decisions about what they do and do not want to view. So if they don't want to view something, they really don't have to anymore. And I think that's a good thing, right? But what that means is it's kind of like paper junk mail, which still exists for some reason. Um, but paper junk mail is reducing. And it's mostly because I think most companies understand the cost of sending this stuff out is uh, not zero. And therefore, like, they might as well quit doing it unless they're making a significant amount back. Because there's two costs. There's the cost of actually doing it, which for a long time people saw email marketing as being cost-free, but it's really not because you're paying somebody to do it, right? Like you're paying them for their time. But then also um, consider, you know, the cost of the actual mailing. So electronic seemed like there was no cost to the actual mailing, but you are paying someone to do it. Um, but then there's the hidden cost, which is basically the hot cost of goodwill of your customers. So, like, if you piss off your customers so much that they don't want to do this anymore, like, they don't want to get your email anymore, then guess what? They're never hearing from you. So, when you send me an email three times a week, the result is I never hear from you anymore because I'm going to unsubscribe from your list. Um, and I think more people are getting that way where I think more of us are starting to realize like, okay, if you unsubscribe from this and it's pretty standard the way you do that, you just go to the bottom of the email and in teeny tiny text, it'll say unsubscribe and you click that and it takes you in. Now the worst offenders of this, by the way, are the ones who like, they make it so that to unsubscribe, you're supposed to enter some kind of like uh, login or something like that. And that is crazy. Like, when people try to do that, they can go fuck themselves. Hardcore. Like, that is the stupidest shit I've ever heard in my life. I mean, you're trying to... You, you're making me log into something to unsubscribe from a newsletter. That is just throwing up a barrier so that people have to stay subscribed to your newsletter. Anyway. Um, robocalls, I feel like, is just not, not that big of a deal. I think that what, to me, the better deal is they should have, like, uh, better abilities to block things from your phone. So, in other words, you should be able to block more shit from your phone that's like, eh, if this isn't coming from, you know, 
phone numbers that are in my address book, then I don't really want them. Or like, let something call me once and then give me an easy button on my like missed calls list or whatever to say, hey, this is a bullshit robocall. And so just don't let it come through anymore. And then I think these, I think that's the way to stop it. Because then these uh, companies will see like, look, no, none of our calls are going through. So why even bother? I mean, who cares? The other thing is, I think that this is like an idea that punishes, again, it's trying to like punish people who are already skirting the law and the, not just the law, but sort of politeness, let's call it. So I think if you're already skirting those kind of rules, it's like, well, how much effect is it going to have on these people to do that? To say like, oh, well, no more skirting the law. It's like, it's, I think it, a lot of these times, these sort of policies just end up making it harder for um, people who are, are trying to do it the right way, which is really stupid. I mean, I just think that's intensely stupid and a bad idea. Um, but I will say from a progressive standpoint, this is a bad idea because, you know, a lot of these robocalls and, uh, emails and things are generated from outside the United States. So what is Andrew Yang? Some kind of Zionist weirdo? Like he doesn't want anything that's from outside of the United States coming into the United States. That's pretty crazy. Um, that seems cruel. And what is he, a racist? He doesn't like people from India or something? Hmm. Curious. There we go. Um, monitor and reward volunteer hours with the government program. So this would basically be like, let's uh, keep track of people's volunteer work and, you know, make them eligible for things like uh, sports events tickets and shit like that. Um, no. I don't... I think uh, I would take a, a thing on volunteer work that I am going to borrow from someone who was asked. I, I listened to a show where a guy who was former military was asked if he thought like uh, mandatory military service was a good idea. And he said absolutely not. Um, even as a, as a veteran and as someone who was, you know, deeply involved in that shit, he was kind of like, you know, the thing of it is I think that... Uh, I think that if you do compulsory military service, like, you end up with a lot of people in the military who don't want to be there. And being side by side with a bunch of people who don't want to be there is not a great situation for the people who do want to be there. Um, or for the people who, for whatever reason, this speaks to them and their values and stuff. And it's like, it's probably not a great idea to force them, to force people into something like the military. And I kind of agree with that because it seems to me like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are some people out there who would have found their calling or whatever, but I'm betting there's also a lot of people out there who would be like absolutely miserable. They would not, they would not make great military people. And I think volunteers are that way to a lesser extent. Like I think, and this isn't compulsory volunteerism, but I, I think... At the risk of sounding very cheesy, I think volunteerism kind of needs to be its own thing. Um, my work was talking about doing a thing where it's like, oh, you would get paid for volunteer hours. And I was like, well, 
on one hand, I think that's a, well, and because it's my work and everyone at my work is crazy, they were like eight hours a year or something like that. And I was like, wow, <laughs> eight hours of volunteer service a year. That's amazing. Because, you know, I was like, I think most volunteer gigs are kind of like a regular job. I mean, there's always the thing where it's like, oh, yeah, my work group is going to uh, the food bank. And they're going to they're gonna do this whole, like, one day at the food bank. But I'm kind of like, you know, I think I'd rather rather have everybody, like, just do their volunteer shit and do that on their own. And frankly, if, you, if you're in a workplace and you're in charge of this kind of thing, I would just say, rather, if you're going to do, like, a small amount of paid volunteer hours that's not regular, instead of doing that, just make a commitment to more flexible scheduling for volunteer opportunities. So in other words, treat volunteer opportunities the way you would treat, like, someone saying, I got to pick up my kid from school or something. Like, be more flexible with someone's hours and schedule in order to accommodate it. And also, I do think that you do reap the rewards of volunteering, because I think most of the jobs I've gotten, um, the volunteering I've done has played a part in that. And so I think that um, you do eventually reap rewards for volunteering, which is like people see you as somebody who's invested in the community, and you build other skills. Like, volunteering is a really fast way to build other skills that you wouldn't have. Because basically, nobody's going to hire me to do, like, their marketing for their company. But a volunteer-structured or volunteer-led or, like, a 501c3, if I went to them and I was like, hey, what if I did some marketing work for you for free as a volunteer, they probably would be a lot more interested in that. Because they're like, well, I don't have anyone to do this. I don't have any time. I don't have whatever. Um, so I don't know. But I guess that's the thing. And I don't know, is this a progressive? What's my progressive take? You know, my progressive take is uh, volunteer, rewarding volunteerism, I think, kind of creates different tiers. You can't spell volunteer without tier. I mean, you totally can because volunteer is an EE and tiers are IE or EA. But um, point being, I think that People who are uh, of lower socioeconomic status aren't going to really have time to volunteer. Like, if you've got people who are working three jobs, and then you're like, you're kind of, in a way, uh, shaming people for not volunteering, when for a lot of people it's not possible. You know, people need to take time for their mental health, too. It can't just be go, go, go. They need, to, they need time to decompress and really... Um, Think about who they are. And so and so I, I just think that it's kind of a shame to to make people feel bad about their non volunteerism. And I would just hate to see that continue. I'd hate to I'd hate to see us continue down that road, which I think is a road we've been down. And um you know. Just doesn't seem doesn't seem very progressive to me. I'd like it to be more progressive. Let's see. Um, I had another one. Oh, end routine infant circumcision. 
this one I, I did look at on the thing because I was like, I don't really see people talking about this very often. Um, it turns out it was basically a tweet. I think someone asked him what he thought about infant circumcision. And so then uh, that's what he said. He was like, eh, I'm not in favor of it. Which I tend to agree with. I mean, I just, if it's not necessary, I don't, I don't really see much point in having people go through medical procedures um, that are not absolutely necessary. Like, if a procedure's not absolutely necessary, then why do it? I mean, or, you know, isn't, isn't going to improve their life significantly? And if you look into the, like, the research and shit, it's like, it's not necessary. And people will tell you they are. It is necessary. And you know why they tell you that? Because they were circumcised themselves. Or their parent, they are parents who circumcised their kid. But, you know, if you get right down to it, it's dumb. Because you know what the number one reason is that people will tell you? I promise you this is true. They will tell you, well, I had my kids circumcised so they looked like their friends. Or like their dad. And it's like, okay, well, that's a fucking stupid reason to do that. It's like, you chopped off part of your kid's penis so that they would look like their parents? I mean, does anyone else think that's stupid? Am I the only one who's like, that seems like a really dumb fucking reason to do that. I mean, wouldn't that be like, well, I wanted him to look like his dad, so uh, and he had a bigger penis than his dad, so we cut the first inch of it off. I mean, what the fuck? He has a tiny penis, so we did a surgery to make his penis bigger. I mean, what is this? Um, what's my progressive take on it, though? Oh, yeah, this would be a bad thing. I think that I think male routine circumcision should continue, because um, I'm concerned that this issue is taking away from the blight that is female circumcision, which is much worse. Not in the United States, but um, the fact of it is worse, right? It's more horrifying. And frankly, I think the only way to get men to pay attention to this highly important issue is to um, have them be involved in it too. So until circumcision is ended worldwide, it shouldn't be ended in America either. There you go. Pow. Pow, bang, kaboom. (laughs) I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to, well, it's easy to do this. It's easy to come up with, like, I can make this a more progressive idea, but it's hard to do it genuinely. I I have to wonder how genuine sometimes these, like, hot takes and stuff are, because I'm just like, I don't know. It's not that hard to be, like, to basically engage in this stupid logic problem of being, like, well, if you do this, then what about this? And it's like, well, I don't think that, I don't think that, um, for example, hanging on to male circumcision in the United States is really going to help circumcision elsewhere. Like, that's probably not, and even if it, if it's a neutral effect, then it's like, eh, okay, maybe we should, maybe we should knock it off. Um... And that's generally how I would feel about something like that is like, hey, look, I'm not going to pretend like this is the biggest blight on society, but it's like, eh, let's just knock it off. huh? 
let's just like maybe we should put some good information out there like maybe this should be included in sex ed or something it's just like hey are you thinking about having your kids circumcised or like in parenting classes what to expect when you're expecting and just be like you know the reality of it is the research shows that there's really not much reason for this um oh the other reason that people will cite for this all the time is like well it's better to do it when they're a baby because if you have to do it later then it's horrible it's like yeah you know what you might as well just give your kid lasik too right like just give your baby lasik because what if you have to do it later it's better to do it when they're a baby then we'll remember what if they have to uh if they have to have their, you know, cut their tonsils out, maybe you should take one of their balls off because it's like, well, that doesn't that have their chance of getting testicular cancer? There you go. Like, yeah, what if a bunch of things happen? Well, then things happen, and then you work it out, and you get over it. But at least if you had it done later, you could, your parents could potentially talk to you about it, and you could understand, like, what's going on, right? I mean, you could be like, part of the process, part of the team. Understandably, you'd be pretty fucking miserable. But who cares? Like, I don't know. Slice part of the penis off. That's cool. What if my kid's going to get a tattoo later? Wouldn't it spare them the pain of getting a tattoo if I just did it when they were a baby? <laughs> I mean, if you use that logic on any other idea, it sounds insane, right? Maybe we should just take out the appendix. That doesn't do anything. Like, just take out anything that's extra and isn't really necessary. Let's just take it out at birth. Because that saves us the cost of doing it later. The, the pain, the time, etc. Let's just make it easy on ourselves, right? No one wants to... I think it's mostly that no one really wants to talk about, like, babies' penises. Um, and no one wants to talk about, like, whatever. And also, it's very easy to uh, do something to a baby's penis because a baby can't really provide you the feedback to say, like, oh, this is fine. It's kind of like when they, people say, like, oh, lobsters are fine being boiled alive. Like, they don't know the difference. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true. I have a feeling that a lobster probably has enough uh, sensation or know-how to at least in sort of a, like, insectoid brain, like, understand that something intensely uncomfortable and bad is happening. Like, if nothing else, I think there's enough of a brain in a lobster to be like, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, 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 bad. Whereas, you know, if you just stabbed it in the head and killed it instantly, it probably doesn't have to go through that. That's just my belief. I guess I, I don't know this, but I suspect... Here's what I know. I don't know that this is true, but what I do know is that nobody else knows either. Like, nobody, anyone who claims that, oh, you can do this to a lobster and it's totally fine, doesn't know that. They just think that. But they don't know. They don't know shit about fuck. And with that, we end. Thank you again for listening. Um, it's, been, it's been great, as always. It's, always. it's always nice when we get a chance to talk like this, isn't it? Isn't it a treat for everyone? A real treat. If you, if you emphasize the T on the end of treat, it makes it sound maybe better, but maybe worse. I can't really tell. All right. We'll see you next time.